Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Probably one of the most important things that has happened recently at St. John's is something that for months we did not do. When everything was first shut down, we put a pause on one of the most fundamental and foundational aspects of Christianity and following Jesus. The simple act of the water and the word bringing God's grace in the gift of baptism. But in the last few months, we've got things rolling again. We figured it out, and we've been baptizing quite a few people, from small little private baptisms of little children to our Sunday evening service. Just a few weeks ago, we baptized five children from one family. And then at that same service, another 50 or so kids took communion for the first time. And that night, I was especially excited to see that four of those kids who received the gift of baptism also received First Communion on the very same night. It was a great night for so many children. At St. John's, we love kids. We have children's ministry. We baptize kids. We teach them in our school and in our preschool. Children are a huge priority for us and will always be here at St. John's. But you see, children haven't always been a priority and so valued in society and in the world. In fact, when we look at the ancient world's view of children, we see quite a different picture than the one that we see today. In fact, the classical world placed a high value on reason, and so children were often regarded as inferior because they were not guided, so it was thought, by rational thinking. They were thought to be physically weak, subject to the will of adults, susceptible to sickness. And because of that, children were not admirable. In fact, in classical times, children were not to be praised in any way except for the potential that they may possess for actually becoming someone who mattered in the future. You see, unlike today in classical antiquity, children They were not used as paradigms or examples for adults to follow. In fact, Plato himself said this. He noted that children were known for fear. They were known for weakness. They were known for helplessness. Pliny, he said that none among the animals is so prone to tears as children. To be a child was to be dependent, defenseless, fragile, vulnerable, at risk. Those were not qualities associated with heroism in the ancient world. A hero was someone who made things happen. A child was someone things happened to. In fact, in the Greco-Roman world, the extremes of killing, abuse, and abandonment were common. Babies that were disabled were often disposed of by drowning or exposure to elements or left where the waste was disposed of, essentially thrown out at the dump. In fact, one archaeological dig unearthed 100 babies that had been murdered, that had been thrown into the sewer. In classical times, children were disposable. In fact, one ancient Roman law said that a boy who was strikingly deformed had to be disposed of quickly. That 
brutal reality, it made me think of Rick Hoyt. Here he is as a little child, and as a result of oxygen deprivation to Rick's brain at the time of his birth, Rick was diagnosed as a spastic quadriplegic with cerebral palsy. Now, some people advised his parents that they should institutionalize Rick because there was no chance of him recovering and little hope for Rick to have a normal life. In ancient Rome, both by custom and by law, Rick would have been discarded. Baby Rick, Rick would have been thrown to the dump. He would have been drowned. He would have been abandoned. He would have been killed. But baby Rick had a father that loved him. And his father, Dick Hoyt, and his mother, they brought him home to care for him. And when he was 11 years old, they took him to the engineering department at Tufts University to see if there could be a device that could be invented to help him communicate. Well, they were told that he could not comprehend. The dad said, tell him a joke. They told him a joke, and then Rick laughed. And so the department built him a computer, a computer that allowed him to type by using his head movements, the only muscles that he could control in his body. One day, Rick heard of a benefit run to help a young man who had been paralyzed, and he typed out one sentence he said, Dad, I want to run. Now, by this time, his dad, Dick, had been his 40 years old. He was way out of shape. He'd never run more than a mile. But Dick somehow pushed his son through this race. And at the end of the race, after they got home, his son, Rick, typed a sentence that changed their lives. He said, when I ran, I didn't feel disabled. Since that time, his dad has pushed and pulled and carried Rick in over 1,100 endurance races, 72 marathons, six Ironman triathlons. They have run the Boston Marathon 32 times. And adding to their list of achievements, Dick and Rick, they biked and they ran across the United States in 1992, completing a full 3,735 miles in 45 days. They also completed in triathlons, and, and for the swimming portion of the triathlon, Dick uses a rope attached to his body to pull his son Rick, who's sitting in a boat. Rick is grown now. Rick is a graduate from Boston University. He lives in his own apartment, and this father and son team has inspired thousands upon thousands of children and their parents disabled or not. And we see in these two human beings that they are loved and that they love. We see that their existence is actually a revolution. Their story is inspiring and is humbling, especially when you compare it to ancient times. And we might ask ourselves, when did it change? When did the view of the child change? When did it happen that our culture and our world would value and uphold and lift up children, and not just children, but disabled children as well? In a way, we might ask where, when, how did this revolution in humanity come about? I'd argue that it came about when a helpless dependent, 
needy little baby boy was born to poor parents 2,000 years ago. Jesus. A new era came with Jesus. A time when the thinking about children would begin to shift. A child born in a manger. It gave rise to the reality that God had been, that God had been, this reality that had been guarded by Israel for centuries. Israel had always held that there was one God and that he is good and every human being has been made in his image. Genesis chapter 1, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals over all the creatures that move along the ground. And in verse 27, God created mankind, humanity, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. The child, the child that was born in Bethlehem, grew up. He began to say things about children that no one else thought of. And children were brought to Jesus. They could not come themselves, right? Children are passive and they're dependent and their parents would bring children to Jesus. The disciples would rebuke those parents, but then Jesus rebuked his disciples and he said these powerful words, Matthew 19, verse 14, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. A kingdom for children. A kingdom long before Walt Disney the magic kingdom, right? The magic kingdom just down the street is closed right now. But the kingdom of heaven is always open. And all children are always welcome. And so the little children began to come to Jesus. And as the movement of Jesus spread, the kingdom for children, it grew. In fact, if we trace the history of Christianity, we see that in the second century, the Didache, a, a early teaching of Christianity, it prohibited the killing of children. It prohibited the practice of exposure. It prohibited infanticide. And then within Christianity, we see writers like the shepherd of Hermas who said, all babies are glorious before God. And then St. Ambrose wrote this. He said, The church must care not only for babies, but also the poor, because poverty destroys the ability to care for children. In Jesus Christ, a community began that cared for children, that cared for orphans. In fact, a baptism practice of children receiving God parents began to care for all children and provide other people to care for them. And then by the fourth century, instead of people in society leaving unwanted babies to die at a dump, they were left at a church or a monastic community. And then we see orphanages being born within the cradle of Christianity. We begin to see that those who live in a culture truly touched and changed by Christianity view each person differently because of Jesus. Whatever you might think of Jesus, we've learned from him that all humans are created by God and in his image and are divine, have a divine right to be loved and are holy. The story of Rick Hoyt and Dick Hoyt, Team Hoyt, 
is the result of Christ's revolution of humanity and the perception of each human being as worthy, as being made in the image of God. Now, in our gospel reading, Jesus shared more about children. And if we remember that even in Judaism, while they had the concept of the image of God and being created in the image of God, children were not held up as role models for adults in the sense of having some sort of positive trait that an adult would emulate or follow. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? We live in a culture that is infatuated with greatness. A narcissistic, individualistic, self-centered quest for greatness. But so did the culture of Jesus. His own disciples fought over who would be the greatest. Jesus radically challenged them, and he radically challenges us. Matthew chapter 18, verse 2, he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is telling us to become like children. Now, in our culture, we value children so much because of Jesus 2,000 years later, and we hear those sort of words, and we think of maybe, maybe Jesus is talking about their simple faith, or maybe he's talking about their devotion, or maybe he's talking about their sometimes amazing ability to love. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus wasn't talking about that. He's talking about, as he says in verse 4, their lowly position. In fact, the hearers of Matthew's gospel would have thought only of two things when they heard Jesus say those words, lowly position. They would have thought about dependence and need. And so to be great, Jesus says, is to first come before God in utter and complete dependence and need. It's to say, I'm not going to try to be great on my own. It's saying, God, I cannot be great on my own. I've tried it my way. I've looked out for only me. I wanted to be the hero. I wanted to run the race by myself and bring home the gold by my might, by my will, by my power, by my determination, by my ability. But when we're honest with ourselves and we see the race that God has laid out for us, and we're honest with ourselves, we see that we're disabled. That we can't use our legs, our arms, our voice, our bodies. Our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. And we cry out like Rick Hoyt. We cry out like Rick, not with our own voice, but with the voice our Father provides. We cry out with a voice that is given to us. We cry out and we say, Dad, I want to run. And our Father picks us up, and He carries us, and He pulls us, and He pushes us mile after mile after mile, year after year after year, decade after decade, race after race, farther and farther and farther, so that we too can say, like Rick, when I run, I don't feel disabled. Jesus said, therefore, Whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But you see, Jesus doesn't just stop there. 
We're not just to be like Rick Hoyt. We are also called to be like his dad. Jesus says in the very next verse, verse 5, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. My friends, when Jesus looked at people, he saw the image of God. He saw this in every human being, and it caused him to treat every human being with dignity. And it has changed our culture forever. In fact, in Rick Hoyt and Dick Hoyt, his dad, in Team Hoyt, we see a parable of these very words of Jesus. We see that we all need to be like Rick. We need to be aware of our dependence and need before our father. And we all need to be like his dad and welcome all of God's children to love for them, to care for them, to give sacrificially to them, seeing the image of God in them, seeing Jesus in them. And we need to run the race for them and with them. And when we live this sort of life, that is when we achieve true greatness an otherworldly greatness, the greatness that Jesus is talking about, a greatness that truly impacts the hearts of humanity and the world. If we learn anything from Team Hoyt, we learn don't ever underestimate the power of your life. Little Rick wasn't thrown out. He wasn't discarded. He wasn't drowned. He had a father who loved him, cared for him, valued him, saved him. And so do you. You have that sort of father. A heavenly father that loves you, values, cares for you, and has saved you. And your story of dependence and need, your story of treating each person with dignity, that story saves lives. That's your story. It's my story, and it's the story of all the children that have been trusted to our care. In Jesus' name, amen.